We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This episode 156 of the pod, back and better than ever. Uh, thank you for bearing with us during a little hiatus of scheduling issues last week. But here we are, Matt Rooney, Joe Musso, bringing you the latest and greatest from the world of sports. We got a ton to get to as sports trickle back into the mainstream here. Golf is back this week. NBA's got a date. NHL's got a plan. Baseball still stinks. Blackhawks won it a decade ago. Plenty to talk about, but first and foremost, Matt Rooney, how are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Glad to be back on the uh, the virtual airwaves here with you. Um, oh yes. yeah. Fr- Friday, we wanted to, we we're trying to push back the pod as, as much as we can last week, so we could not be. Uh, we have a tendency on this podcast to record about 30 minutes before breaking news hits. Um, we, we wanted to try and not do that last week. Finally, we were able to go on Friday with some basketball news, and then you, you got called into work, which which happens to the best of us from here and there. From uh, you know here and there, so we're we're here with you now, and I think that's uh, we had good reasons, people. We weren't being lazy. No, that's never it. Me, Matt, lazy, never, never. Uh, I've never been accused of being lazy. Especially by anybody I co-host a podcast with. Well, Matt, we are going to put you to work. We're going to make you earn it here. Maybe a little overtime for the people as we have deprived them of their entertainment for a well, week now. But uh, overtime won't uh, be much. Let's let's <laughs> dive right into it, Matt. Because, uh, like I said, plenty to get to today. We are a golf pod, so we will start in the golf world. June eleventh, Thursday. Depending on when you're listening to this. Thursday of this week, the PGA Tour is back at Colonial for the Charles Schwab Challenge. When I say the PGA Tour, I really mean it because outside of Tiger, pretty much every name you could want in the field is going to be in the field at Colonial. Mm -hmm. It's got a major vibe to it. It's going to be interesting. There's some new ideas that I've even heard about, about what they might try and do to spice up the coverage a little bit with no fans there. They're talking about a possible, like, confessional booth. That's what I I saw you like to tweet about that this morning. Yeah, players have to to go in. Players have to go in and answer a question or a couple questions when they make the turn or at some point in the round just to sort of give like a, I don't know, like a real world road rules vibe to it. Whatever it is, I'm down for it because we've seen golf, not the PGA Tour, but golf over the last few months here get creative. And I think that's really good for the game. I really think it's really good for the fandom. I think it's really good for your average golfer who just wants to go out and hack it around to see things a little bit more laid back than a normal tour setup. But there is money at stake. There are FedEx, FedEx Cup points at stake. There's plenty at stake when uh, the top five players in the world all tee it up at Colonial, as well as a great field, some past champions in Phil Mickelson, Justin Rose, all those guys. Really, when you're looking at the field, it's just Tiger, Adam Scott. I don't think I'm missing anyone beyond that. That, Those that, are the two uh, big names that I can be think in the field. of. Those are the two big ones. But, uh, Matt, I guess before we dig into some storylines here, just your general level excitement <laughs> to uh, have uh, PGA Tour Golf back. I'm excited. Uh, it's it, After what we saw, you know, with the, with the two matches, which are obviously different ways to consume golf, the, the idea of having actual live, you know, sports in general, but also, you know, golf back, I'm, 
I couldn't be more excited for a golf tournament that isn't a major or a Ryder Cup. I don't think. Um, Honestly, like, I, I already got the. I got to be honest with you. I got the betting odds open on my computer screen right now. And, and that's where I'm going with this next with you. There is so much value on that board, Matt. We did a betting breakdown with a couple of our uh, PGA Tour oh, okay. experts on that, CBS yeah. Sports HQ. Justin Rose is a past winner. I was looking at him at thirty to one. I think I he's like plus it. three thousand right now okay. to win. Uh, I'm Justin looking Rose, at the, the Vegas Insider has him at forty two to one. So he's he's stretched to forty two to one, which means no money's coming in on him. Or mm-hmm. I don't know, Vegas got word of something. But my two plays this weekend are going to be Justin Rose and Justin Thomas. I don't know if I'm going with the all Justin crew. What it is? Yeah, I just like the JT. You know, I, I'm trying to think of because this is a course that maybe doesn't demand the length of other courses, so it, it doesn't it doesn't beg a play on a bomber like DJ or Brooks or someone who's really just going to like like submit the course like this is going to be someone who's fairways and greens and putts it really well and i think that's why justin rose saw uh, success here in the past and i think that's why he could see success um coming up this weekend but i also think that justin thomas sets up nicely because i think he's just a badass that wants to prove that he's the best coming out of a break that like it's a little bit boneheaded but like JT, no that, i, I, I like think that play. i think jt has the most tiger in him out of anyone on tour right now, like really just, and I'm not saying the dominance or the intimidation factor, but the, like, I'm the best one out here in his own head. I, I think that JT has that edge. And I think that's going to pay off big here in these first couple of weeks. Yeah. I, I, I like both of those picks a lot. Namely, I do love the Justin Thomas mentality. And it, Justin Rose and I think, plays very, very Matt, can you give us, I'm not looking doesn't at, make many mistakes. Go ahead. I'm not looking at the odds here. JT twenty two to one last uh, I looked. JT something is, like that. JT now is the what I'm looking at sixteen to one. Um, okay, so, so his odds the odds have shifted a little bit. A little yeah. bit. Um, I, I guess I don't know why Rory is such a heavy. I mean, I get why Rory might be the favorite. Rory is the heavy favorite by far. He's at seven to one. Rom is is your next close to twelve to one. Um, yep. I don't really understand that. I don't think there's all that much value in that. But then again, Vegas in, must know something. You know, I mean, Rory or Rom, really. I, I mean, I don't. Rory, really what Vegas is saying here is we don't know what any of these guys are going to bring to the course. Rory's the world number one. But he's your odds on favor. But he's, he's like head he's head over heels, like that much more yeah. favored than a lot of these people. That's what I, I don't mind Rory being the favorite, but he's 7-1. to one, The next closest is 12-1. to one. Um, I, I also... You, Look at Brooks Kepka, who's all the way down at twenty nine to one, and I think mm-hmm. that's almost even a little bit of a sucker bet because you mentioned the whole JT thing being like he's got that mentality of he wants to be the best back out of the break. He wants to be, you know, he's probably been grinding for the most part over this break. Brooks Kepka doesn't strike me as the guy who's been playing a whole lot of golf, who's got himself geared up for the Colonial. I still think he's got that major mentality, which is what he's kind of said he has in the past. So even yep. at twenty nine to one, you, you first see that like, oh man, that's some good value. I actually don't love that pick, which now go ahead and watch him win. Uh, Ricky Fowler, 29 to 1. Uh, I kind of like, too. He plays pretty consistent golf, usually for the most part. And if that putter's going, uh, he's as dangerous as anybody. Yeah. Um, I just think Rick struggles to get it to the clubhouse uh, more times than not. Oh, I don't yeah. know why. Um, but, uh, you know, Rory, you can make a case for Rory. Rory hasn't finished outside of the top five since August of 2019. So it's been nearly a year since Rory McIlroy played a tournament and didn't finish in the top five. Now, to be fair, that only includes the Tour Championship last year, and then I think six, seven events uh, prior to the stoppage year. But in his 2020 season, Rory McIlroy played the API, finished fifth. Uh, He played WGC Mexico, finished fifth. Genesis Invitational, finished fifth. Farmers, finished third. WGC HSBC Championship, finished first. 
and Zozo Championship finished third. So, I mean, if you have a top 10 bet or a top 5 bet to put down, I mean... I would bet a Rory top you, 10 bet is probably negative odds at this point. It, it most likely is, yeah. and history will tell you that that's likely going to happen here. He's just been the best ball striker in the world for some time now. Mm-hmm. It's just another it's just another question mark of who are these guys when they come out of break? Are they going to be kicking off rust? I mean, we've seen a handful of them play in these alternate formats, but um, I don't think that's indicative of your game when you get on tour, regardless if there are fans behind the ropes or not. Um, it, it is a historical moment. It is a historical track. It's one that's been on tour for years and years and years and years. I think dating back to the 30s, 40s, Ben Hogan playing it. I mean, this is one of Hogan's favorite courses. He had a hand in the design um, of Colonial and almost poetic in a sense. Ben Hogan being someone who, you know, got in a car accident and came out and rose from the ashes and did what he did beyond his injury. And now you have the BJ Tour returning at Ben Hogan's place, which mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of conversation around the tour about where is the real Hogan's Alley. And they claim it at Colonial as well. So it's going to be historic. Uh, we're going to have big names out there. And if you're trying to put a couple shekels down, there are some really interesting plays to be made from a betting aspect. Yeah, and it's 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 just nice to have that option back, Joe. I haven't really, other than the Korean Baseball League, which I, I'm not staying up till 2 in the morning to watch. There haven't been many sports mm-hmm. to, to throw a couple shekels on. The it's, KT Wiz nice and the uh, the KT Wiz and the Kia Twins really had a, a barn burn the other day that oh, I had yeah. to call. Um, those are some over. fun names. Those are some fun names to uh, to try and rip off on those highlights. Um, and then there's like a couple Americans in there that like like Tyler Saladino, Young Suho singles to right. Uh, yeah, Tyler Saladino comes around to score. It just it just doesn't link up in your brain. It's it's different, but uh, it has it has tidied us over, and we are thankful for that. KDO has been great. Uh, I've, I've watched more UFC, and I know that you claim me to be a UFC guy. I guess I kind of am now, but um, you know, it's been UFC. You're my it's been UFC. KDO. If you're not a UFC guy, you're my there you go. UFC guy. So you're uh, the one <laughs> the one sport that I've tried to. Uh, tried to avoid like the plague is still NASCAR. You still can't get me to do it. It's, Even through yeah. pandemic, it's just not my, it's just it's not my cup of tea. And we have still just cars turning to the left. One of my producers at CBS sports HQ has some bylines on CBS for NASCAR writing. And he's just super into it. And even, you know, sometimes you spend time around people who are really into something and it gets you into something. It, it doesn't, it just, it just didn't do it for me. And but, I, I uh, tried, like I tried getting into it. Yeah, no, it's when not it came back. I, I even watched those virtual races they were doing for a while, yeah. which were like, it's still just you know I watch it for a lap or two and I just can't like I just they're just they're just driving they're just driving. That, there's, there's nothing yeah. else going on I think that if you get into the storylines of who the guys are where the animosity lies then you you know you start scratching an inch there but I, yeah let, let's not waste time on what yeah. we don't like here because That's there's fair. plenty of things that we do like uh, coming down the pipe Matt anything else here on the PGA Tour before we move on I know I'm jacked up I know you're I was, jacked up I was, I was actually I looking could, at the I was looking at the schedule coming up here yeah, I mean, obviously the U.S. Open was supposed to be end of the month, but next week it's it's not really much of a drop off. They go to Harbor Town, so like we got there is no slowdown for no, eight months. We got <laughs> back to well, I mean, I'm ter- I'm talking in terms of like tournaments in terms of courses they're going to play. Like we got yep. two really really solid golf courses in a row here. Two you know outside of majors, you know two t- two of the top golf courses we'll see on the schedule all year and not majors in Colonial and Harbor Town. So I was just, I, I just wanted to throw that in there. I was kind of scrolling through out of curiosity. I'm excited for these back-to-back golf tournaments. We have two really, really good courses coming up. Uh, looking at the schedule, Matt, where do you see the most logical place for Tiger to reintroduce himself to tour play? Because in my eyes, 
I really don't think we see him until July 16th through the 19th uh, at uh, the Memorial because he's he's going to be playing a truncated schedule for the rest of his career. He's 44 mm-hmm. years old, fusion in his back. We saw what maybe a little bit of wear and tear at the beginning of the season did to him. It really it slowed him down. He wasn't the ball striker that we saw the year prior. I think we're going to see Tiger like six times a year. And, and that's not to say... You know, four majors, maybe a gear up for each major. So let's call it eight normal tournaments. Um, and then you get, let's say, in a regular schedule to the PGA Tour playoffs, maybe another, let's say he works all the way through there, the four tournaments. So that's 12. And then the Ryder Cup. We're not going to see Tiger Woods 20 times a season anymore. I, I just don't think we are. I think that he's going to play the Memorial as a gear up for the Open. And, and that's going to be when we see him is mid-July. Yeah, I, I mean, looking at the course schedule here, the other one I might have thought would have been Harbortown just because that's in South Carolina. It's all—it's a guaranteed warm weather course. Obviously, it's June, so it's most are going to be, but it's a nice course. It's near him where he is in Ford. And looking at the schedule, if, if it's not that, which it's not, we know by now, um, the memorial makes the most sense. Yeah, field has not been announced for Harbortown, so we can hold out hope there. But we just need to get the uh, flight or the travel manifesto on the yacht because that's a yacht trip for Tiger. Yeah, for sure. he, he's you got, pull the he's yacht got up the to Harbortown. You stay on the yacht. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a yacht tourney for Tiger. So that does God, that's maybe peak interest there. That does maybe peak interest for what's the name of the yacht? Doesn't the yacht have like a super Tiger name too? I don't know off the top of my head. It does. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking sure, it up right it now. Does. Google uh, it's like Tiger Woods Tiger yacht, Woods yacht name. name. Yeah, this is good. This is good stuff right here. Uh, privacy. That's that is it's such pri- a it's Tiger called privacy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! So uh, we could see Tiger on privacy at Harbor Town a week from now. Um, let's cross our fingers and hope that is the case. Oh, I hope so. I just, if we don't see Tiger, let's at least just see the yacht. Yeah, just get the yacht out there, just for the people. Uh, Matt, uh, you know, we are a golf pod, so that's why we lead golf here. But, um, you know, plenty of golf to be seen, plenty of golf to be played. Uh, Might be teeing it up this weekend. Got a little trip back home, but uh, details, details for another day. But uh, let's uh, let's turn our attention to the NBA here, Matt, because that's the other sport that has a date. It's got a time frame. We know when it's happening, where it's happening, how it's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, what it's going to look like is going to be super interesting. Just to break it down for those of you who haven't been as, you know, in touch for it or in in um, in tune with what's going on here in the NBA, 22 teams. You're having a play in series with the four teams within striking distance. If they get within four and a half games, then you get a play in for the eight seed. That's going to be wonky. But once we get there and we set the field, it's a normal playoff between these teams. The the really interesting thing about it is they're going to be cordoned off at the wide world of sports in Orlando for four months, three and a half months, whatever it may be with the NBA finals stretching out as far as to October 12th. Um, I have no problem. They've been proactive with how they're doing it. They're making sure that everyone's going to be safe. They're allowing teams to sign extra players in case someone does come down ill. Mm -hmm. The only thing that really strikes me is that, if this was baseball, it would have never happened because they would have found it, they would have found something to argue about, and that something lies in the short layoff. I mean, if you're talking about a game seven, October twelfth, yeah, that's that's talking about starting. To me too. The, we're talking about starting the season next year on December first, which means training camps open on November first. You have a two week off season before players are asked to get back in training camp next year. I just don't know how it works. I don't know how it works either, but like that, that's also something that 
the you know players association had to take into account like that's not something that's going to get sprung on them just now that's something yeah. i'm sure they've, they've had to have weighed all their options all their opportunities all you know the the pros and cons i'm sure that's a massive con like it is and that's the one thought- thing that, that that's the one glaring issue that jumps out at me from this other than that it seems like like you said the the play-in for the you know the eight seeds could get a little wonky but like that could also be kind of fun this is the thing that jumps out to me like you have you know say the lakers who have a guy in LeBron who's, you know, older. He's obviously still at the peak of his game, but he's 34 years old. You're telling me he's going to play, you know, a stretch run, go to Game 7 of the NBA Finals, and then be back in training no, camp then he's three weeks play, later? Then, then what he's going to do is he's going to play 17 of the first 40 games of the season next year. If yeah. you thought load management was an issue this year and years prior, wait till next year. When you, have, ready for next when you year. have star players sitting out full weeks, back-to-back-to-back games that they're mm-hmm. just, you know, foot injury, fatigue, this, that, the other, because the uncertainty and the lack of layoff. I I just think that you're going to have a real issue on your hands next year with load management, but let's get back to this year because it is good. The NBA has been proactive. They've been one of the leaders in trying to get play back on court. But Matt, when we're talking about the actual product, it's going to be in, I don't know if you've ever been to the wide world of sports, but it's essentially, you know, sort of an AAU setting. Um, how they set it up is going to be really interesting. They're talking about pumping in crowd noise from like the 2K video game sponsoring it, um, which I think the players really want because I don't think the players want us to hear uh, no, they, their they, unbridled conversations they, that they are happening. Need to be, I mean, you and I have both been on you know competitive fields before, and I'm not sure. I, it's, some of the things that get said on there, whether they're not they're not appropriate for television. <laughs> Yeah. And a lot of those things are getting heard on television, which is not going to be good for the players, not going to be good for the viewer, not going to be good for the league. And it's not, I'm not saying it's anything offensive or anything like that, but it's just something that you know you, you don't want getting out there on ABC on national television. Yeah. And I think you're going to need to do something about it to pump in, whether it's 2K noise or whether it's pumping fake fan noise. I think that's absolutely something you're going to need to do, and I, I would back the players fully on, on wanting that to be done. Uh, Matt, one of our analysts the other day said, this is going to be the toughest NBA championship ever to win. And I kind of gave pause at that. I kind of pushed back at that. But the more I think about it, it's going to be different. And it it should be remembered as something different. But from a difficulty standpoint, it's going to be really tough to get your team to focus for three and a half months. You know, you only get to see your family in spurts. You got to be careful where you're going to get dinner you got to be careful where you're going to play golf you can only really operate within this couple miles or something like that however mm-hmm. they're quartering it off because if you're lebron james and you test positive in the western conference semifinals or whatever whatever because they're reseeding in the semifinals and you cost your team a week of your services at minimum um any positive test garners a week minimum quarantine so let's say 10 days best case scenario before you get back on court yeah you really have to be careful. So these guys are really going to be just from hotel to the court, from hotel to the court. And it's not going to be from a, I don't know, I'm trying to say this, but from a momentum standpoint, from a uh, routine standpoint, it's going to be something so different. Do you think that this will make it harder to win an NBA championship? Uh, I think from, I think mentally, yes. I mean, I think, think physically, Probably not as much because I think, like you said, you're not your body's just going to be going through basketball and pretty much going back to your room and hanging out. So I think in terms of no flights, getting yeah. back into shape, their bodies no flights is another great point. Their bodies are probably going to feel as, as good as they can. But mentally, yeah, 
Um, I think it's going to take a toll doing just basketball, not really seeing your family, not really seeing your friends, just kind of basketball team, basketball team. But from another, I mean, standpoint, you look at, you talk at, uh, about teams who, who always say those, those long road trips, those, those two-week road trips. I and mean, you remember playing, mm-hmm. you know, travel ball and stuff as a kid, those those times you got to be with your team and it was just kind of you guys in the hotel and just, you know, it was, it was a chance for teams to get better, uh, get, you know, drop, you know, build closer relationships, bond. Obviously, this is a longer, you know, this is a three-month road trip. This isn't a two-week road trip. But I, I think some teams can probably use this to get closer as a team, become, you know, more on the same page on and off the court. And I think you'll see a lot of teams grow in that respect. And I think you'll see which teams like each other a little bit more because if you're, you're staying with each other in the same hotel for three months, you're going to see some guys at each other's necks. But I do think this will be a chance for the closer teams, the teams that have more tight-knit locker rooms, that have better veteran leaders, more veteran leaders, it's an opportunity for them. It might not be as difficult as it is on some of the other teams. With all sense. that said, with all that said, do you think that that sort of setup and that sort of uh, routine does play into anyone's favor? Because, I mean, looking at it, it was the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Bucks. And if mm-hmm. you look at the odds right now in the Eastern Conference, the Bucks are at minus money to win the Eastern Conference, and then it's a huge jump. So I believe the Celtics are next in the odds. So. Vegas doesn't believe in anyone but the Bucks out of the East. Um, you could find some value beyond them, like I said, with the Celtics and, and a couple other teams. But do you think that this format opens the door for anyone, or does it narrow it to where we're really just going to see these best teams thrive? Yeah, I don't really think it opens the door for any other teams. Not necessarily because of this format, just because that's kind of what the NBA is. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, I think you have your star teams. You have your you know three or four teams that are capable of winning an NBA championship. And you kind of have your rest, and, and that's just kind of what the NBA has been for the last little while. So I would say the Bucks, obviously. The, the Celtics are another team I have there just because they're a group that's been together for a while and they have some good veteran leadership. And then on the West, you have the Lakers and the Clippers, and that's kind of it. I mean, that, that's kind of been the narrative since, you know, midway through the season before this all even got stopped. Uh, yeah. so I, I don't I – don't, I, I see the point in, in trying to you – know, it's, it's definitely worth a question, but I think what it boils down to – is the NBA has always been a league about talent. And while that that might create a separation between those four teams, I don't think it allows any of the, you know, six or seven seeds to pop up and be, you know, a new threat now because they have, you know, they're, they're a little bit closer than the others. I think the, the NBA's, in the NBA, the talent always wins through. It always yeah, the only, the only thing I think that opens that door and broadens this, this spectrum is the potential for injury or the potential for a positive test mm-hmm. that could really throw a wrench. Yeah. Off. Which is, like the, we could, mean, yeah, that's different. And, and you know what? I, I really do think maybe not a star player, but there are going to be positive tests. There just are. And there's mm-hmm. going to be panic and it's going to be a storyline. I'm, I'm just as excited for the storylines off the court as I am for on the court. And I'm not saying I'm excited for someone to test positive for coronavirus, obviously, but mm-hmm. there's going to be the rumors about so-and-so snuck so-and-so into the hotel, so-and-so left the bubble to go do so-and-so. Like, there's going Mm -hmm. to be um, lore that comes out of this time, and I hope that it's a storyteller's dream, and I hope we get to hear some of those stories. But um, Is there, is there like, is there punishment for leaving the bubble? Is is there, like, a, 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 that'd be something I'd be interested in. Like, is there a suspension? I think they are. The I, I don't think that there can be. I think okay. that they're being asked to stay inside the bubble. Okay. You are putting your team at risk 
if you leave the bubble. So gotcha. I think that's okay. sort of the ter- the deterrent there is no one wants to be the guy that tests positive, gets LeBron sick, and mm-hmm. ruins the Lakers' 17th title or whatever it's going to be. Um, but that being said, I don't think the Lakers do win the championship because I think that this format, this setup, plays perfectly in the hand of not one team, of one individual. Who better to win a championship in a weird manner with no fans with limited media interaction, Kawhi doesn't answer any questions or talk to anybody except Kawhi Leonard. Yep. He is already a monster in the postseason. We do not give him the credit he deserves because the persona does not match the performance. And by that, I mean he's lame. He's a lame. He's always going to be a lame. He's no fun to watch. I mean, he's fun to watch. He's mm-hmm. no fun to listen to. He's no fun beyond the 92 feet on the court. And that's all this is. It's just basketball in a vacuum. And I think that Kawhi Leonard is a top three player in this league. This plays right into his hands. This will be a back-to-back championship with two different teams now. It'll be his third title with a third different team. There is legacy and lore well beyond LeBron James that we're not looking mm-hmm. at here. I mean, this this could be LeBron's third title with a third different team. It's only a short list of guys that have done that. But Kawhi's right there, and we don't even talk about him going to try and do the same thing. The Clippers team, I think, has the most depth. I think they're the most complete. So, if they do take a knock to one of those role players, next man up. It's I, a deep a team with coach. a lot of veteran leadership. Like, that's what I was going to say, too. A, a, a great coach who's been around the block. Obviously, no one's been through this before, but if there's a guy who knows how to navigate just about any situation or can figure out a way to navigate any situation, you know, Doc Rivers and Greg Popovich are the two guys you think of at the top of the list. That's that's where my money's going right now. I just think Kawhi is going to love and thrive in this sort of setup. I like that. I like that pick a lot. When do you, do you have the, the Clippers odds off the top of your head? Uh, I don't. Um, NBA championship odds. I saw them earlier in the week, but I can't the, remember. The, the, the Clippers are at plus 320. All right. The Lakers are your favorites at plus 240. It's according to CBSSports.com. We're, uh, we're, we're supporting the brand, Joe. Lakers are at plus two forty. Bucks are at plus two sixty. Clippers are at plus three twenty. I like that. I like that value. Yeah. Um, so maybe something to take a look at there if you're looking at a future on the NBA. I know I got a. I had a future early on in the season that I was rooting for all year that got voided and saved me a, a nice chunk of change. <laughs> I welcome. had that. Uh, I had that Philadelphia 76ers over. Yeah, uh, that one was they like were, your lock. They were one game shy of handcuffing me. Like they needed to win out in order for my bet to cash. Uh, it wasn't going to happen. And, uh, you know, a silver lining, I guess, is that uh, all futures are void, my friends. Uh, so get your new futures in now is what I'm, what I'm trying the, to say. Uh, speaking of those, the, apparently the um, one, I think, forgot which might have been Caesars in Vegas was, was fielding a lot of complaints because of the, uh, the one bet in the NHL side of things was the Blackhawks to make the postseason. Mm-hmm. And I believe they said something along the lines of, like, they weren't going to honor that bet until the Blackhawks beat the Oilers. Because technically, yeah, it's not. It's the not the playoffs. So there is. The there playoffs. was a. There was a big, massive. Like I, it was a big story about no, you the, know people going back and forth on that. Yeah, because the playoffs begin after that first play-in round. But it's, the, here's the word: Is it if if it's playoffs? Yeah. I, if, but if the bet ticket said postseason, they're technically not in the regular season. They're in a postseason right now. Yeah, they're no, in a play-in I, I get, round. I get what you're saying, but a book is never going to pay out. On technicality, that's fair. Um, that's, a, that's a good point. They're, they're always going to take your money on technicality. So, house always wins, Matt. House always wins. We should start a book. We should be that. No, that's illegal. Well, 
Yep. Don't caught myself. Don't say I, that. Caught, I caught maybe, myself. Maybe don't say that on a public forum. I caught yeah. myself. I say immediately regret saying. That. Wager wisely in states that allow it legally. New Jersey, exactly. Illinois, the other ones. Those. <laughs> Nevada. <laughs> Nevada. Yeah, the original. Uh, Matt, let's keep this thing rolling here because uh, we do have to talk about Major League Baseball and their latest folly. Do we have um, to? I don't know. I guess. Let's just hit it quickly because this is another um, black eye on the sport. It is another embarrassment by the players and owners. Um, not, and, you know, not to take sides here, I'm always going to side on the side of the players. Hard to feel bad for a group of billionaires who are – going back on a promise that they made in March. They said they'd prorate contracts. Mm-hmm. Now they're trying to give percentage of contracts. And if you look at the breakdown, I retweeted something uh, yesterday that um, I want to give par- proper credit here before I do give you the information. Um, was it Carl Ravage? Okay, Carl Ravage tweeted out, MLB has made a proposal to the players. 75% prorated salaries for a 76-game season. A playoff money pool, no draft pick compensation for signing a player. Season finishes September 27th. Postseason ends at the end of October. Significant move towards players' demands and effort to play more. It's not. It's not. Because it's Mike money. Axia, who's another uh, another big name, CBS Sports MLB, he tweeted out the breakdown. It is the same exact deal that they've come to the table with for the last three deals. So 76 games at a 75% prorated salary is 33% of those guys' normal I saw this tweet annual you. takes. This one you 50 like. games at prorated pay is a 33% salary because it's 33% of the season. That was their previous uh, pitch. Previous to that, it was 82 games at that sliding scale where players, where the big-time players would be making $5 million, where they were knocking everybody down, the socialist plan of mm-hmm. 82 games on the sliding scale most players were getting 33% of their annual salary on average. They've literally just offered the players 33% of their salary three different ways over and over. It Mm -hmm. is a mess. It is unexcusable that Major League Baseball is not taking this as an, is not seeing this as an opportunity and they're seeing this more as an opportunity to get over on their players. And it's, it's just so disheartening as a fan of the game, as someone who just wants to see baseball played in the setting of summer because that's when it's supposed to be played. It's just, it's so predictable and so disheartening that I think this is a moment in baseball history that will forever remember as when it left the mainstream. And it's been long on the way there. And yes, they might do great numbers for the All-Star game still. They might do great numbers for the World Series still, but who's watching your game on a Thursday in the middle of the summer when you're trying to make your money? How many fans can you get in the stands to buy the t-shirt, to buy the hat, to buy the overpriced beer so you can make money as an owner? The owners are thinking from such a short-term concept right now that we need to make our money back this year. But what you're doing is you're damning your business for the foreseeable future. They're going to lose so much more money over the next decade because they're killing the sport in the interim. Yeah, I mean... I can't really add much more. It's just, it's, it's sad. It, it really is sad. I was kind of more on, like, I would, I, I've always been pro player in this regard, but I was kind of hoping both would make these, you know, concessions and kind of come to meet something. It seems like the players are trying to make, like, they're trying to meet in the middle. And the owners, like you said, like, all three of the offers they made have been the same amount of money. Like, they're, they're treating the players, they're now, treating that union like that, you know, for dumb. The players do need to be realistic about the number of games that they can get in. I agree. Players are still, 114 is never going to be it. Plus. That was never going to be it. Honestly, 75 you needed to start games playing, sounds like the right total. 
you need to start playing last month. Yeah. If you wanted to play a hundred and something games, I, I'm a completely side with the players on the fact that pay me for however many games we end up playing. Prorate my salary for the number of games yeah. we end up playing. How does that not make sense? I, yes, I they're going to want to play. They're going to want to play more games because that equals more money. Well, that's the thing. You, but, saw, the, you saw the offer they made a couple weeks ago, the 114 for, with fully prorated, and the owners come back with like it, it wasn't even like it wasn't even a real counteroff. They came back with yeah. 50. They came back with less than half. Like. It was an insulting counteroffer. It was a slap in the face back. But you, the owners, you have to meet in the middle. And the, the owners, owners have no one trying. The owners are trying to recoup future losses this season because Which they know they're not going to be making. They know they're not going to be making the gate with tickets. They know they're not going to be making the concession money. They know they're not going to be selling what they're selling inside the stadium. That's where mm-hmm. their real money comes from. That's why they're trying to cut corners elsewhere, and it's just not going to work. As a business owner, and I said this a couple weeks ago, you incur the risk. Your employees only incur a certain amount of that risk. Their risk is saying, yeah, if we don't have baseball, we're not going to get played. But the owner's risk is if we don't have baseball, our business fails. Our business model Mm -hmm. fails. We're in the red this year, and you have to take losses as a business owner. These are highly lucrative businesses that if they operate correctly – will have massive gains over the next decade. You'll recoup your losses in the long term. They're trying to recoup, recoup their losses by not paying their employees, and it's shame. It's, it, it's shameful, and it's embarrassing, and it's the reason the sport's dying. I mean, you couldn't have said it any better. I, I don't have anything to add. You, you hit it right on that. Um, Matt, I guess I'd pose it to you. Do you think we see MLB baseball this year? Because I put it at a 1% probability that we see baseball – in any capacity this year. I still I, I really I really I, think that we're heading for a full lockout. I still think we do in some capacity. Maybe that's just me holding out hope. I, I still think there's there's a I, I still and maybe it's me giving them too much credit. They have to know that may, it, the owners have to know that it, it's for the long-term future. It's really really bad to not have a season and if they it, it, they've already done a ton of damage and not having a season I think would do like you said almost irreparable damage. You have to have uh, one, something. One thing that we did learn is uh, not just in sports, but in the world that sometimes billionaires are a little out of touch and they don't understand it. Like yeah. which McCall it, which McCall with the Oakland A's uh, taking the money away from his minor league players and then seeing the backlash and saying, sorry, mm-hmm. we'll pay him. Like, uh, do do we really need to, do we really need to explain to you why $400 a week to these players is important and why it's not that it's big of a deal for you, billionaire man. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's for me and just for me personally, I, I love the game. I watch innings here and there. I see all the highlights. I know what's going on across the league and I'm still kind of ready to be done with it. I love baseball, I, but if you're going to give me a diluted product, if you're going to give me more headaches and enjoyment. There's a lot out there. I've really taken to the UFC. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we will, if as long as we have football, we'll be fine. Um, it's just, it's just like you said, we could look, there's a lot, there's a lot, more is, comp- there's a lot more competition for baseball now than there was 10 years ago. And the baseball's, owners are still thinking like it was 10 years ago. Baseball's dead next year. Baseball's absolutely dead because you know what's going on in July? The NBA playoffs, the mm-hmm. NBA finals are going on in September, October, whenever they're trying to finish it. Baseball is so niche and it's going to go away 
because no one's going to want to carry these games. No one's going to want to pay big money for the contracts to have 82 games or however many games on their air. It's going to cost people more money than they're going to be able to make, and that's when you really go away. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's going to be something that plays out in the long term, and we're going to have to watch it, and it's going to be sad. Um, but here's the hoping that we get to see some baseball because uh, I said it on air the other day. I think that this is since maybe the late 90s, early 2000s, the most star power that you've had in the game. The most interesting personas you've had in the game is right now. Uh, maybe we don't know that because they don't sell them well, but yeah. you have so many young stars in the game right now that need to be on a baseball diamond playing the sport that they love so that the sport can thrive, but we just can't get there. I just want to... Why does this happen the year the White Sox are going to be good too, Joe? This is supposed to be the start of something, and now we don't even get to see it. Yeah, so I, I don't know. And, you know, there's they're going to bungle the situation with service time and everything else that goes along with it. The minutia of Major League Baseball all needs to be figured out for this offseason, um, what, what the free agency period is going to look like. It, it's just a barrel of monkeys that I'm glad that I don't have to untwine. It's just going to be, it's just going to be a mess. And yeah. I think it just gets us further from watching, further from what we really care about, baseball on a baseball diamond. And that seems to be the last thing on the decision maker's mind, and it's unfortunate. Yeah, it's well said. Uh, but let's uh, let's dig into some other stuff here. Let's try and go happy. Uh, we have an anniversary to celebrate, Matt. Did you pop your champagne this morning? Uh, I have, yeah. You Drink have a mimosa. Sipping a little, sipping a little bubble, bubbly. Yeah. Uh, ten years to the day, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks win their first uh, Stanley Cup in this series of three, uh, the 2010 Stanley Cup Championship was exactly 10 years ago today. So maybe tonight around, I don't know what, 9, 10 o'clock, we, uh, we celebrate Kaner tucking that one in and, and uh, claiming pull up, the pull Stanley Cup. Pull up the YouTube, Cup. Watch, it, watch it in real time. Got a lot of Philly fans in the office that I'm excited to say hello to today uh, because they give, me, they give me enough double doink uh, heartache on a regular basis that maybe I could serve them one today. Oh man, do you remember what you were, where you were? I remember because it was, it was summer. So you had been home from college. So what was it? Was a, right uh, before, a it was right before we moved. Doing? It was right before my parents sold the house in Galewood. So I had guys over to the house in Galewood because my mom and dad um, were cool enough to let us fill a couple coolers downstairs. Oh, well, you're in college downstairs. at that point. Yeah. We were drinking Bud Diesel. I remember we were drinking Bud Heavies. I don't know if I came home from college. Like, that was my thing. Love it. Um, we were drinking Bud Heavies, and I remember freaking out and then, you know, celebrating in the street. And then my mom was like, all right, you guys can't go anywhere. And we are like, eh, we might go to Madison Street. And we ended up <laughs> sneaking out. To, we, we snuck out to Madison Street, and uh, we celebrated a little bit under the guise of perhaps some some falsified identification, but we won't go perhaps. there. Perhaps. We won't get we won't into go detail. Uh I remember, I remember thirteen and fifteen more fondly because of the celebration. Mm-hmm. But ten, ten served its purpose. Uh, we knew we were seeing history. Um, I remember just that was probably the most superstitious I was at any of the championships. I think that's I think why I got we more drinking. superstitious. I think that's why we were drinking Bud Diesel because like that was the superstition that I had drank it throughout the playoffs or I something don't, like that. I don't know why I was the opposite. I think I was the least superstitious I ever was in twenty ten. I think I got more really? and more superstitious as the wins went on. I don't know why, um, but I remember like 15, I, I had it down. Like I had a routine. Like I was doing the same thing after games. Like I was, I was listening to the same music. <laughs> I was drinking the same beer. I couldn't go to bed until I had a post game beer watching the same post game show. Like it was, 
it was down to a team. It worked, but it was like down. I had it down to a science. Um, obviously, and I know we've talked about this game in the past before, uh, game five against Nashville in the uh, conference semis, oh, yeah. the comeback was is how I remember 2010. That's kind of the game that stands out because we were in the building and because in many ways that feels like the moment that sparked a dynasty. Um, yeah, because if they don't, if they don't come back, if they don't kill that penalty, if Kaner doesn't score with 14 seconds left in regulation, if Hosa doesn't come out of the box and clean that one up on the doorstep off that Sopel shot around the boards, some of this maybe never happens. And and this franchise, this dynasty, it looks completely different from that moment on because they likely don't win that series. Um, Matt, what's the moment that you remember? The one that sticks out to me was. Game one of the Stanley Cup Finals, I remember being just in our seats. The ones we we got them in two thousand ten or two thousand seven, the year they, you know Kane's rookie year. But we had seats before that. And, you know, we've been my both my brothers grew up playing hockey, so I've been going to Blackhawks games since you know I was you know four or five years old in the late nineties. Being in just in our seats with my brother Mike, standing there watching warmups, and you know you, you mm. see the, the the banner up you know above you know Stanley Cup Final. Chicago Blackhawks seeing the painting on the ice and just me and Mike, Mike kind of looking at each other like we're at a Blackhawks Stanley Cup final. This is game. a thing. This is happening. Literally five, eight, ten years ago today, I remember like it was yesterday. You know, from that, from Game One of the Stanley Cup. You know, ten years before that, if you would have told me ten years from now the Blackhawks will be in the Stanley Cup final and you know beginning this run of a dynasty, I'd have laughed in your face. Like it, it was just, it was never going to happen. They were so bad. They had such bad ownership. They had such bad leadership. And then just kind of in the snap of the finger, you know, a couple good draft picks, a couple good signings, a couple good trades, all that changed. So like that was just – it, it kind of came full circle and just the realization, like, we're at the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, and our team's that, in it. Like, that was just for me. Like, obviously, game five in Nashville is the best game I've ever seen, the best game I've ever, ever been to, the most important uh, you know, moment probably of this entire dynasty. Cause like you said, without that, you know, penalty kill without that, you know, shorthanded goal without that Hosa going straight to the front of the net, none of this probably happens. I mean, there's yeah. a chance they come back and win two in a row, but you, you never really know it, it. This probably doesn't happen. We're not probably not talking about three and five years. Um, but without that, that, that just coming full circle moment of that game one, just kind of from where we'd been and to, to where they got and how quickly it was just, oh, my mind was just kind of blown. Yeah, it's it's not real till it's real, until you see it, so you can touch it, so you can feel it, and that, mm-hmm. that's that moment. And, uh, you know, all the moments that followed, we're thankful for, and we're hoping that we can get back to those moments uh, in the not-too-distant future, because um, Blackhawks fandom and Blackhawks hockey um, meant so much to this city, and it means so much to this city, and I think you saw that fandom grow over, those, over that 10-year span. Um, and, and I fear that because hockey is niche, that some of that fandom will will die off and some of that fandom will go away as it did in the past um, if the Blackhawks cannot find their way into some sort of uh, competitive, meaningful position in the not-too-distant future. And again, not to go bad on these no. things, but I think you know you have your die-hard base and then you have the people who are proud to be Chicagoans and this is our team. Right. Um, and, I think, and I think that second group... Uh, can vacillate a little bit from how much it means to them. I think the I think the John McDonough move did a lot in the right. You know, it was it was a great move in the right direction for a lot of Blackhawks fans because you, you're, most Blackhawk fans for the last you know few years. Obviously, we all like like the 2010 team. We like the dynasty years. We're all in love with those players. But 
you, you kind of felt the organization, especially this last year with it, with it being the 10 year anniversary of years prior was really like trying to dig back to those years, bring back guys to kind of cover up the poor product or, you know, below average product they kind of had on the ice the last couple of years. And, mm-hmm. and I think real Hawks fans, a lot of true Hawks fans, not even, even the ones kind of the step below that, a lot of the casual ones kind of saw through that. And mm-hmm. I think this change at the top, the willingness to acknowledge like, hey, we were great. We're not right now. We need to get back to there. We're not resting on our laurels anymore. We're trying to make change. I think that's going to go a long way for Blackhawks fans. In being, it, people don't obviously want to see a superior product, but I think what gets most Blackhawks fans or most Chicago sports fans upset is the laziness, kind of the willingness to just kind of rest on your laurels, just not really going for it, just binding the status quo, trying to sell tickets, trying to you know keep fans in the seats. If Rocky Wirtz wanted to do that, he could have kept John McDonough. He could have kept parading you know, the same 2010, 2013, 2015 guys back, had his you mm-hmm. know, five or ten nights a year where he had a huge full crowd and just kind of rode out the Kane and Taves years. And I, don't, I, I think this move shows he's not willing to do that. I think he wants to maximize what he has left of those guys instead of just using their names and what they did in the past, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think that um, – I don't think we'll ever get to a stage where we're walking to the stadium to get tickets and – Spend ten bucks to sit. Yeah, I don't, I don't think three hundreds yeah, anymore. I, I don't think I'm paying nine dollars to sit up there anymore. Yeah, um, those but, were fun uh, days, though. I remember that. Those we will get to the Blackhawks a little bit further here in buy or sell. But why don't we dig into some buy or sell, Matt? What do you say? I love it. Uh, lead us off. Okay, um, UFC news. You're the UFC guy, right? Mm-hmm. You're my UFC guy. Of course. Conor McGregor over the weekend announced his retirement, which like it seems like for the fifth time. Um, so I want to ask you third pre- time to be okay, fair, whatever, plain and simple. I'm a Connor guy. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just stating you know the facts ish. Uh, buy or sell? Connor's actually retired. I'm selling. This is. Yeah, I, I, I don't buy. I, it doesn't have to just so. be MMA. It doesn't have to be MMA. It just has to be fight sports. A retirement in fight sports is not a retirement. You have Mike Tyson at 60 years old talking mm-hmm. about coming back and fighting, coming out of retirement. Fighters always believe that they can fight. Floyd Mayweather retired however many times he retired. Conor retired twice prior to this, this being his third retirement, second in two years. It's it's posturing. It's positioning. It's him telling Dana White that you're going to have to pay me more than you've ever paid me before to get me back in the octagon. Um Dana White does have a little bit of a roster issue on his hands right now. Mm-hmm. Conor McGregor, John Jones, Jorge Masvidal, uh, Nate Diaz, and Henry Cejudo. Some of your five biggest names have all in one way or another entertained the idea of retirement or fighting for a different corporation over the last couple months here. What Dana's trying to do, in my eyes, is save these fights, save these big names for when we can have fans in the stands again. Yeah. I don't think he wants to blow his gate on a fight at the apex with Connor versus Masvidal. That fight is supposed to happen in front of 60,000 people, if not more. You know, that fight's supposed to happen in front of 40,000 people in one of those Vegas settings. That fight's supposed to be big. And not to say that it wouldn't be big and the pay-per-view buys wouldn't be massive if you made that fight with no fans in the stands, but it just feels like he's trying to save his golden tickets for later, and that's not making his fighters too happy because these fighters think that they should be able to make $35 million in a night if you're Conor McGregor, no problem if there's fans or not. And it's just mm-hmm. not the way it works. So I think this is Conor, you know, digging in, putting his feet down and saying, you know, I'm still 
the biggest draw in your sport. What are you going to do for me? That's all this is. This isn't a retirement. Don't get worried about it. Yeah, I kind of thought that. And I, if you would ask me right when I saw the tweet, I, I would have bet a lot of money that we'd see him in the octagon again at some point. But you're the UFC guy. I just want to go to the UFC guy and confirm my uh, my suspicions, <laughs> my, my thoughts. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely... We're definitely on the tail end of Connor's career, but the man said he wanted to fight three times this year, only a few months ago after the Cowboy fight. Obviously, COVID-19 comes into play mm-hmm. and changes those plans, but you don't go from wanting to fight three times in a year being mentally prepared to do so to retirement. It just, it's just it doesn't not happen. It. And if, if he was to retire, it would surprise me, but it wouldn't, I mean, it would make me sad because we never get to watch Connor fight again, but... He has a burgeoning liquor brand. He's made more money for 10 lifetimes. He's fine. We've had this conversation before. Why would you get back in an octagon if you, if, you're just, if you don't have to fight for your food, if you don't have to fight for your money? If you're set for life, mm-hmm. what is there to prove to anyone? You're a two-division champion. You've done things in the fight game that no one's ever done. You've led it in TKO and knockouts. You've done all these crazy things and set all these crazy records. You have nothing left to prove to anyone. You're you're merely doing it for our entertainment, and that's that's why I think when Conor McGregor does come back to the octagon, you know, take each and every one of those moments and enjoy them because there's not going to be a ton more. I mean, on Saturday night we saw a couple fighters coming up, um, O'Malley with a crazy knockout, Cody Garbrandt still pretty young. There are stars to be made. Um, the, the sport doesn't go away after Conor McGregor, but we are only going to get so many more chances to watch him do his thing. So I, I think these next few are going to be very meaningful and we need to enjoy them to the utmost. Well, good. I'm glad that you think he's coming back because I want to see him back in the octagon. Uh, Matt, buy or sell spending three months in a bubble in Orlando. I just want you to come at this. I want you to, I want you to be an NBA player for five minutes here and tell me what you're excited about, what you're not excited about. Would you be able to, to do what they're being asked to do? I mean, I think I'd be able to do it. We've kind of been doing it for a while now to not, to a little, a little bit of a lesser extent, we, we've kind of been doing it for a little while here. Um, and, and I think if you're in that bubble, you're kind of, you know, you have that routine, you have that structure. You ha- you're still, it's not like you're just sitting there, you have stuff to do. It's not like you're locked into just your hotel room in the stadium. You kind of have, you know, whatever bubble throughout, you know, the worldwide sports you have. You still have some things to do around there, I'm guessing. Would I want to do it? Not particularly, but if that was the best <laughs> way and the only way to go about it, sure, I could do it. Right, I think so. I, I mean, I'd be looking for. Uh, do, do they have golf courses at the wild, wide world of sports, Joe? I've never been there. Uh, no, but there's fantastic golf in Orlando, and I read that players will be allowed to golf okay, while following show, if you're, social if you're, distancing. If you're, yada, 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 play, yada. if you're letting me play golf, I'd be fine. If you're not letting what me would play it, golf, I'm out. Okay, you can play golf. It's all good. Sure. What's your biggest? What's the biggest drawback? What are you missing the most? Like, what, what's what's going to be an issue? Uh, your biggest issue as an NBA player. I mean, you just kind of don't really have a social life. I mean, obviously playing golf is, you know, going out and being social. But uh, but other than that, I mean, you don't really – there's no real, like, friends. There's no real seeing family. Like, it's just kind of – you have basketball and, and really not much else. And I think that would get – But I think you'd be fine at first. You'd probably get into a little period where you're bored of it and then break through as you, towards the end of that period. But I think that'd be the most daunting thing is just the not access to a social life outside of maybe hitting a golf course. Once you work your way through those uh, through those movies on the TV in the hotel room, yeah, you know, what, what are you doing? To do, you know? Well, you got you got um, Call of Duty. That's true. That's true. You got to bring in this. We got to bring the setup. Yeah. I want to see like like who's in like the normal like. 
who got the North size suite and who's in the like LeBron James suite. I, I want to see LeBron's room. I, we need to, we need some in, we need some, we need this to be documented. I'd like, love to vlog see, style. By the I'd players. love to see his list of demands for his room. Like the, LeBron's rider for his room. What, what LeBron, like the, the checklist of things he needs in his room. I well, because no, let's, let's talk about it because if you're at the end of the bench for the Lakers and you're hoping to win a championship and you're excited to cash these checks and you're excited to go out there and play basketball, maybe the cost benefit isn't that off kilter. But if you're LeBron James, and again, you've made all the money in the world, the only thing that you're coming to Orlando to do is win an NBA championship. You're sacrificing your summer with your family. You're sacrificing travel. You're sacrificing all these things that you Mm -hmm. usually do in the months of July um, August, September, even into October. You're sacrificing your break this year to try and go win a championship in an AAU format at the wide world of sports. There is a huge cost-benefit analysis here for LeBron James. Obviously, he's not going to say, I don't want to do this, I'm not doing it, because mm-hmm. there is the opportunity to win a championship. Does he get it done? We'll see. But those big-name players are incurring the most loss from a social standpoint, from a lifestyle standpoint. Like He's not worried about the check. There are guys out there that are worried about the check, but I think it's really interesting that you're seeing players and, you know, these guys are creatures of habit. Their bodies are programmed to peak at certain times. These are guys who are not used to having to be at their best in the month of July, September, October, and they're going to have to be. It's going to be really interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting point, kind of their bodies being in not just a daily routine, a weekly routine, but a yearly routine, and this being their off time. That said, I do think the the training camp period will kind of help wake that up a little bit and help ease the, you know, sloppiness to start that that a lot of people were expecting. I, I do think you give them those two weeks to kind of get themselves ready. I don't think you'll see a huge, huge drop off. Uh, from play coming in when we start whatever it is end of July. All right, hit me. Um, I changed the one I had for you because I like this one better and I think it was more timely. Um, Rory said a week or two ago he has a hunch that the Ryder Cup is going to be delayed a year mm-hmm. um, to when they can have fans. So simple question for you, buy or sell the Ryder Cup is delayed a year? Buy. I think that you know how – how much home field, home course advantage plays into that tournament. Mm-hmm. It's maybe like anything. I think it, it might not be like home court advantage in the NBA, NFL, or even Major League Baseball in a playoff format. I think it's even more valuable because what it's relative to. Like home court advantage during the regular season in the NBA, it's useful, it's great, but like you, you've seen it with the 76ers and teams that struggled to win away from home. Mm-hmm. But you can do it. The Ryder Cup, relative to a normal tournament setting, is so vastly different that you're actually changing the format. You're actually changing the competition if you do not have the fans there. It's, it's a completely different, it's a different tournament. It's a completely different thing, and I think that it falls flat without fans, and I think that the decision-makers know that. So I think they're holding out hope that maybe you can have a certain level of fandom or a certain number of fans in the grounds, how it's currently scheduled. But I don't think, I don't think players are on board to play this thing without the fans. Yeah, I, I mean, think- I'm, sure, I'm sure the European side would be happy to play it without fans, but... You know, the home advantage here is so great and it's so different relative to normalcy that it's just got to be full fledged or nothing at all. See, I think I don't I think Rory kind of 
I think Rory's saying that means also the Europeans don't really want to play without fans either, because obviously it would help. Which their, I respect. It helped their respect cause. But I, I I feel kind of the same. Like a lot of those guys, Rory especially, like you saw him at Hazeltine, like he fed off the negative energy. He loved it. Like some of those golfers play better because of it. And yeah, it, true. You, it takes away like the, half of the Ryder Cup is about the emotion of it. You have guys like, I don't want to knock Patrick Reed because Patrick Reed has had, you know, he's won a Masters. He, he's had some good runs here, but like, you have a guy like Patrick Reed who at a Hazel team going back to the same match went toe to toe with the best in the world and beat him. And like, you don't see that very often. You see that because certain guys feed off certain energies, you know, play well, you know, in atmosphere, do better in certain situations like that. Just, it eliminates, like, like you said, like half the tournament becomes a different tournament. And I, I think both sides are going to, like you said, I think they're probably holding out hope that there is in some capacity a way they can do it with fans. So they don't have to push everything. But ultimately, you'd be stupid to not want to push and this instead of having just, it with no fans. It's not the same it thing. Just makes, it just makes sense from a scheduling standpoint to move the thing and not slot it in the middle of an already – not the middle, but not slot it into an already crazy different and busy schedule. Mm-hmm. Get this thing to next year. It stinks we got to wait for it. It stinks that you know things are thrown up into the air. But then look at it this way: we likely have Ryder Cups and back to back years, which I, I so I will I'm not mad at that. I yeah. would I would much rather do that. I'd much rather put it off with put it off a year, have it with the fans, and then also get it back to back years, which, which would be fantastic. I, I don't think I don't think captains for twenty twenty two have been named yet, but that does put that captain in a tough spot because so much goes into these Ryder Cups years and years and years before it actually happens, mm-hmm. putting the team together, how you want to run pods, if you want to run pods, um, what your strategy is going to be, how you're going to set the course up. These guys spend literally the two years prior to the Ryder Cup setting up the Ryder Cup. So whoever that captain is going to be is going to be in a tough spot, uh, especially the Euro- European captain with deciding mm-hmm. how to set up the course. But um you know, everyone's got to be adaptable. Everyone's got to change. I just think the Ryder Cup needs to have those fans for it to feel like the Ryder Cup. It has to have fans. That, that's yeah. what makes the Ryder Cup the Ryder Cup. All right, Matt, I promised that I, we'd get back to the Blackhawks for you. And um, I want you to project a little bit here because what we saw over the last decade was, I mean, for us as Chicagoans, the greatest sports moments that we've been given. I know Cubs fans would say that their World Series um, was that moment, but the Blackhawks offered us moments. You know, mm-hmm. it was an era. It was a dynasty in the eyes of Chicagoans. Matt, buy or sell, the Blackhawks won another cup in the next 10 years. You know, I, I've never bet 1988 against 1988 and two, Joe, and I'm not going to start now. I, I will buy it. I, I don't care what, what the odds are. I, I will absolutely buy that. I'm not going to bet against them. I, I, know the, I know it doesn't look great right now. It's not going to be this year. But I gotta have faith in those three guys. Those three guys have, have gotten into a dynasty. Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane are still playing at their peaks. I can't bet against the Blackhawks as long as those three guys, those two guys, now that Duncan Keith's a little bit older, are wearing the uniform. I just can't do it yet. I'm gonna buy it. It, it might not be the smart bet, but I, I would never bet against it. I'm not gonna bet against those guys. And I think it is. I think it is the smart bet because. There's been a certain level of success that's now expected, demanded out of the Blackhawks. Have they fallen short of that expectation for the last three years? Undoubtedly. But there is still a championship air in the building. I always talk about air. I talk about stale air in Cleveland. I talk about bad air in Cincinnati. You talk about all these places that struggle to win because the air is bad. We still got good air. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know Quinville's not there, but your leadership's still in place from a player standpoint. That expectation 
in the locker room still has to be there. I don't think that Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, and the likes have lowered their personal expectations one iota. I think it digs at them and it kills them to know that they're falling short of their own personal expectation. And I think they also understand we're on the back nine here. Mm-hmm. You know, we might be on the back six here um, in terms of their careers, how long they can play, how long that they're going to be here in Chicago. God forbid they go play somewhere else. I think they want to do it. I think that they want to do it here. And I think they understand that they need the players and the help around them to do it. But they're still going to hold that sort of expectation over this franchise until the day that they don't play for this franchise. Yeah, I mean, that's what makes me feel like I buy it. My, my job for the last, you know, however many years, especially this year more than any other, has been, you know, until the, the, the stoppage kind of happened. I was watching, you know, post-practice sound, post-game sound, pre-game sound from those guys on a daily basis. And you mm-hmm. can tell what you just said. Like, th- there is no complacency in that building from, the from you know, Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith when he talks. There is no, like, oh, you know, whatever, this is what it is. There's no going through the motions. Those guys are still irked. Those guys are still, you can tell, very frustrated, very upset, and you know, pissed off to, to certain extents after certain games. They still hold themselves to the highest expectations. Those guys still believe that, you know, one, as long as those three are in that uniform, that they should be playing for Stanley Cups every year. And there is that drive to get back to the mountain. You, you look at... I know Pittsburgh didn't win three in five years, but they had that one in 2009. They had the greatness with, with Crosby and Malkin. They had kind of that top-end talent. They went through a, a lull era. They, they got the right coach in the building. Not that Coach Q wasn't, but they had some coaching changes. They had a general manager change. They made some right moves. They went out in, in that group, that same core group that was on the back, like, like you said, on the back nine of their career, went out and won you know back-to-back Stanley Cups and got themselves back to the mountain. So there's that model to follow. It's just they have to get the right decision makers in the building and start bringing in the right talent because they still have the core that's capable of doing it. It's the supporting cast that they haven't really been able to figure out the last five years. And I think they are very well aware that Chicago knows how to party in the summer. Give us a reason. Give I mean, us a reason. The, the, summer, the, cop. the summer of 2010, like, the Stanley Cup was just it, it was like the biggest celebrity in town. Like that was it was there. There was, there was no and trying year, to figure out where it was. There was no like, there's no better place to be in the summer than the city of Chicago. And then you have the the first Stanley Cup championship for a team that you know had kind of taken on this role as the, they came out of nowhere and kind of became the the fan favorite of the city. They were the, the team everyone loved to love because they were so young. They were fun, and they had a, they had a young group of guys that loved to party like. There was no more fun summer than the summer of 2010 to just keep an eye on what was happening because of that celebrity going on, because of how fun it was to be here, and because the Stanley Cup was like you said, they had the cup tracker. Everyone every day was kind of checking where the cup is. It was going throughout Twitter. Oh, it's at, you know, it's at the Pony or it's bouncing around at this bar. It's bouncing. See, that's why people are just getting in, in different spots to see it. That's why for 2013 for me was the it year. Um, between the three cups because we were legally of age. Mm-hmm. We could be out. Um, I ran into the cup a couple different times. Uh, once at underground, once at deuces, like after a day game, Cubs game, like mm-hmm. they were just out having fun and they were an awesome group of guys and they wanted to share it with the city and it meant so much to us. Uh, and here is the hoping that we can have another one in the next decade uh, back to that original buy or sell. But uh, that's you, all you, I got, Matt. You got anything else? You were an underground guy, huh? Um, no, a handful of times, just got lucky one night. Uh, or no, it wasn't underground. It was Paris club because I was in line for the bathroom. Uh, and Corey Crawford was in the line with the bathroom behind me. And I thought that like, you know, he's Corey fucking Crawford. Get him to the front of the line. Hey, you want to cut me, man? 
I know. I literally, I literally go. I, I literally, you can go. To everyone, can in, go. To everyone in front of him, everyone in front of me in line for the bathroom. I was like, "Hey, Corey Crawford's got to take a piss," and everyone's like, yeah, "It's Crawford." And I think he hated that I like directed attention to him, but he still got the pee first. He's like, "All right, so, cool. I get to, like, you, yeah, I, I, thanks, <laughs> but come on, man." Yeah, um, but uh, good times were had all around, no doubt. Keep keep an eye on NBC Sports Chicago's uh, uh, social media today. We got a whole lot coming out. And then at uh, 6 p.m., I believe it is, 6 p.m. on NBC Sports Chicago Plus, we have our uh, a, a Blackhawks reunion show that we all threw together at the 2010 team, a whole bunch of, not everybody from that squad, but I believe it's like 12 or 13 names you're going to see on there, uh, a lot of them the bigger names. So, so get on there, watch that reunion show. It'll be a lot of fun. Have some written pieces coming out, a couple by yours truly. Um, so, go. yeah. Follow us. Look for those. Look for those Matt Rooney bylines always, and keep it locked. Oh, we, 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 we go official. We go official with the bylines. We go Matthew Rooney. Matthew sure. Rooney. Wow, like yeah, a, we're an like, adult. like a young Chaucer. Yeah, there you go. I don't know who that is, but oh god. Well, Should I know who gonna... that is? Yeah. Who is historic that? Historic author. He's a historic author. Oh, I don't read a lot. I read like yeah. the newspaper and Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Jeffrey Chaucer. Oh, cool. English. He sounds English. cool. I didn't take many. I didn't pay attention in English class. I was an English major. Sorry, Mr. Shep. Sometimes you just sometimes. Yeah, that's a <laughs> Shep's gonna be Shep's gonna be very very angry. You know, I highly I highly doubt he listens to the podcast. But if he does, I'm a high power. I always paid attention in class. He's gonna be uh, he's gonna be very upset with your retention of the Canterbury Tales. He will be upset. Yeah. Uh, you We've got anything else for the people before we say goodbye, man? We've gone off the rails. <laughs> Uh, that is going to do it for the episode. What is it? 150? 156. Yeah, I didn't have it's not episode Yeah, I thought it was episode 151 before the podcast. I, I don't know anymore. I just can't keep track anymore. That's okay. that's how deep into this thing we are. Episode 156 in the books. Matt Rooney, Joe Musso bringing you the Moose and Runes podcast. As always, hit us up on Twitter. We want to get back into the mailbag. We know the schedule's been a little bit fluid as it will be moving forward until we get into a normal uh, sporting-type landscape once again. I got a little uh, Chicago trip on tap, so we might be coming at you Thursday, Friday of next week as well. We got to talk about it, but uh, it's been a blast as always. Thank you for listening to the Moose and Runes podcast. For Matt Rooney, I am Joe Musso. Matt, why don't you say goodbye to the people? Bye, people. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. <laughs>